Welcome to Peace Lutheran Church Podcast. We're talking about following Jesus and the cost of discipleship. Salvation costs you nothing, but discipleship will cost you everything. Salvation occurs in a moment. Discipleship takes a lifetime. Salvation is something that God does for you. Discipleship is something you do with God. Sadly, many only preach a life of decision for Jesus, not a life of discipleship. And the result is then people hit hard times. Life doesn't seem to be working, and they become disillusioned with Jesus rather than devoted to Jesus. Jesus is not a salesman. He's not trying to market anyone, sell anyone, con anyone in any way. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35, we're going to see he's going to talk about the cost of discipleship with some of the strongest and starkest language that he uses at any point during his earthly ministry. And he wants to be absolutely brutally honest with us about what it means to truly be his disciple. A disciple is one who believes in Jesus, worships Jesus, serves Jesus, follows Jesus, obeys Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord He is the leader. He's the boss. He is God. So Jesus is talking about the cost of following him, and he's going to essentially say the same thing four different ways. And he's going to continue to pound the same nail over and over again, and here it is. That nail is, if you are a disciple, do not quit. Do not quit. Because we live in a world filled with quitters. If it gets hard, you quit. If it gets hard, it must not be God's will. If it costs you something, then quitting is acceptable. People quit on God. They quit on their marriages. They quit on their children. Some continually look for the path of least resistance. It's hard. I need to find another way. Please learn this really early in life. And don't forget it. Everything that matters is hard. Everything that matters is costly and everything that matters will hurt and jesus says but do not quit so we read in verse 25 to 27 now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. No one teaches about love as much and as well as Jesus. Amen? No one demonstrates love like Jesus does. Amen? And here, the love master uses the word hate. And he tells us that to be devoted to him means we must hate our mother, father, brothers, sisters, and our own children, and even our own life. What in the world is Jesus talking about? What's he saying? He's saying that in a relationship with him, that relationship needs to be in an altogether different category, far above and beyond every other relational commitment we have. Jesus is worthy of full allegiance and devotion. No one can be significant or as important to us as him. No one. The call to hate simply means to love less. I mean, the image is strong, but it is not a call to be insensitive or to leave all feelings behind. Following Jesus is to be the disciples' first love. This pursuit is to have priority over family members and one's own life, which means that other concerns are to take second place to following Jesus. That's what it means. And Jesus is using the language of the Bible. And scripture interprets scripture. In the Old Testament, there were two brothers, right? Jacob and Esau. And in Romans chapter 9, God reveals to us that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Did God hate Esau the way we use the word today? Not at all. God took care of Esau and blessed Esau too. God was good to both of them, but he chose to work through the family line of Jacob and put him in first position a priority. In other words, love less. Esau was love less. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. The Bible tells us to honor our mother and father. The husbands love their wives. That wives should love their children. The Bible assumes we're going to love our children. But Jesus says that a, devoted, a devotion to him is in an altogether different category. Practically what this means is that you as a disciple of Jesus will face relational pressure from those that you love to quit being his fully devoted follower. This could be your parents telling you, we don't want you to be a Christian. We don't want you to read your Bible. We don't want you to go to church. We don't want you to pray. And in light of that, you have a decision to make. Which relationship is more important to me? Is it a devotion to Jesus or to my parents? The same can come from your own siblings and family members. They have a way of making you feel particularly guilty. Like you betrayed the family. They turn their back on you. They ostracize you. The holidays are awkward. Everyone's uncomfortable and you've created the problem because of your love for Jesus. And some of you have experienced this in your own life. Not everyone will approve of a life that is devoted to Jesus. And he says that this can even include your own children who want you to bless their sin. 
pay for their foolish decisions, endorse their bad behavior, and you cannot because of your love for Jesus. This as well can include even a spouse, right? Yep. A non-Christian spouse may be saying things like, do you have to go to church? Do you have to read your Bible? Do you have to pray? Do you have to share Jesus with our children? And the answer must be, well, yes, I do. I do love you, and I'm not trying to be divisive here, but you're not the most important relationship I have. You are not my God. You're not my Lord. You're my wife. You're my husband. Please don't make me choose between you and God, because you'll lose. By all accounts, committing yourself to Jesus includes committing yourself to the kind of opposition that he endured. At one point, his family thought he was crazy and came to take him home. Some of his followers turned their back on him. Judas betrayed him. Thomas, Peter, others denied him. Jesus' hardest days were lonely, and Jesus says, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. And it's very disrespectful when people use this as a cultural euphemism for minor inconveniences, right? Your car breaks down. You got to take the bus to work. Oh, I guess it's my cross to bear. That's not what he's talking about here. Carrying a cross means the difficulties and opposition you experience because of your faith, not minor inconveniences. A cross is not a minor inconvenience. Between your conversion and your resurrection is your discipleship. It's growing, it's maturing in love, devotion, and commitment to Christ. And today we live in a consumer culture. We don't like this church, you go to another church. You don't like this preacher, you go to that preacher. You find someone to give you what you want, not what you need. This is not cafeteria Christianity where you pick out what you want and leave the rest. Let's see, I like the blessings and the love talk and the nice songs and the nice people, but I'm not that interested in moral living or the old book or the mission or the sacrifice. This is a brutal day for me personally, hearing this reading, because I cannot help but think of all the people in my many years of ministry at this church who just up and quit. They just quit. And I feel at times that I failed them, or maybe the church failed them, or our community failed them, and they just stopped coming. And I couldn't keep them coming. And who knows? And this is the thing that really disturbs me. Did they stop following Jesus? Maybe they quit reading their Bible, or they quit praying, or they quit repenting, or they quit serving, or they quit giving. I sure hope and pray not. But this reading always bothers me. Jesus says, do not quit. Verse 28 30. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus says, 
Before you commit to something, do your homework. Make a plan. Some have committed far too much, right? You have way too many irons in the fire and you're following Jesus is taking second seat. Some of you have got to learn to say no. You've got to get over your fear of what people will think of you because you say yes to everything. Because you're a people pleaser. It's better to do one or two things to completion than seven things to incompletion. Jesus says, before you start something, do your homework, make sure you got a plan. Otherwise, you'll be like someone who says, I'm going to build a building or I'm going to renovate, make an addition to my home. Halfway through, lo and behold, you're out of money. We didn't make a budget. We didn't consult an architect. And now we're fools who are embarrassed because we can't get a return on that investment. We can't occupy that property. And now it just serves as a monument to our folly because we ran out of money. Do not raise your hand unless you're ready to see it through to the end. Some of us need to say yes less. And all of us need to do our homework. We need to evaluate our life. What am I capable of? What can I afford? What can I do? What are my priorities? If I raise my hand, I need to see it through to completion. If I commit too many worldly things, how will that affect my following Jesus and my commitment to him? Got to be careful. There is a divorce epidemic in our society, isn't there? And see, the metaphor of the Bible continually is that we're like a bride and Jesus is like our groom. And some of us just want to have a wedding, but we don't want to have a marriage. Getting married is easy. 50 years of marriage, that's hard. Confessing Jesus is easy. Living for Jesus, that's hard. And Jesus is making this clear up front. It's about the rest of your life. Jesus doesn't want a percentage of your life, a percentage of your money, a percentage of your devotion. He wants all of you all the time. No one makes the kind of request. Think about this. No one makes the kind of request that Jesus does and no one has the right to. Jesus says, if we do not count the cost, we will be those people who get halfway into our ministry or halfway into our business or halfway into our marriage or halfway into our family and then we quit. And it's an embarrassment. And don't blame everyone else. Don't make excuses. Own it. Do not quit. Don't quit on Jesus and don't quit as a Christian. Next point, verse 31 to 33. Don't quit. Or what king goes out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus uses an analogy. It's a parable. It's like a king who gets mad at another king and another nation and declares war, says, that's it, we're going to war. He brings together all of his generals and says, okay, what's the battle plan? And they say, well, excuse me, king, the plan is to surrender. 
Why would we surrender? Well, king, you should have called us first. They have 20,000 soldiers. We have 10,000. That means we're going to lose. And it's an embarrassment and it's a shame and it's a humiliation. So you do your homework or you're going to quit. That leads us to thinking, what have you already quit on? I mean, like, how's the gym membership going? Or the New Year's resolution? What have you already quit? Disciples of Jesus don't quit. A disciple is, by the very name, disciplined. Getting married is easy, staying married is hard. Getting saved is easy, being sanctified is hard. Making babies is fun, raising them is hard. And that's life. And that's the way it is. And Jesus isn't going to lie to any of us and say, come to me, it'll be easy. It's a lot like a battle, Jesus says. We have a real enemy, there's a real war, there's real conflict, and there are real casualties. There are real quitters. Don't be one of them. Just quick story. Ancient Galatians. Galatians, that part of the Asia Minor there. History known to hold their ground for so many generations. They were in an indefensible plain. They have no natural fortification, but they held their ground. How did they do it? Well, they fought differently than most, says history. When they would go to battle, they would bring their wives and children with them and the soldiers would kiss their wife and their, kiss their sons and kiss their daughters and say, okay, daddy's going to war against those bad guys over there. And if daddy loses, they're going to change your last name. You girls are going to be marrying their sons and wife. Well, I fear what they're going to do to you. And then he would go to war. And if he won, he got to take his family home again. And if he lost, somebody else took his family home and did whatever they wanted. And those guys didn't lose a battle for hundreds of years because you fight differently when you fight for someone you love and a kingdom you belong to. You just fight differently when the stakes are high. You don't quit. What does that mean for us today? Well, we still like the idea of fighting, right? But without any sacrifice. Can I talk about video games just for a little bit? I mean, video games are not sinful. They're just fantasy. But they teach a generation to fight without sacrifice. Young men particularly, now young women, are joining in. They want to get on a team, be part of a kingdom, conquer a foe, and win a great epic battle. So much fun. And they do it with their thumbs. And it doesn't even count. Nobody's really liberated. The terrorists are not really conquered. Women are not really freed from oppression. Generations are not really changed. It's all fake. It doesn't count. It's just for fun and fame. Does that desire for victory without sacrifice ever transfer into real life? I sure hope not. Jesus is encouraging us to do something that really, really matters and the stakes are really, really high. Leaving a legacy of faith for women, 
children, generations, not just the high score on some game, but leaving a legacy of faithfulness. You fight differently when you fight for ones you love. And there are generations coming up behind you and you need to stay faithful and not be a quitter for their sake. The default mode of the human heart is selfishness, laziness, and quitting. And so when Jesus tells us to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him, he's hitting our sinful nature right where it hurts. He's attacking our selfish nature, our laziness, and our quitting. Do not quit. Next point, do not quit. Verse 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now in that day, their salt was a bit different than our salt. Their salt came from a place called the Dead Sea. It's like the lowest point on earth, sea level wise. And there the salt was mingled with other elements. And so they didn't actually have pure salt. Over time, the salt could remove itself from other compounds and then you'd be left with salt that was not that salty. Jesus says, well, what good is that? Because see, salt is used to preserve. Salt is used to enhance flavor. And if salt lost its saltiness, you'd throw it on the manure pile and it would help to instigate a good fertilizer. Jesus says we're supposed to be like salt. We're supposed to be persevering. We are supposed to be preserving for his kingdom. We're supposed to enhance the life of others. So question for you, how's it going? Does your life make a difference in the lives of others? Does it count? Who are you serving? What are you giving? Where are you pouring yourself out? What kind of legacy will you leave? It really does matter how you live your life. It's not just accept Jesus and go to heaven when you die. It's being a disciple along the way. And Jesus is telling us in this reading, it's, it's pretty important, isn't it? So how's it going? How's your Bible reading? Because that's what's going to keep you faithful. How's your prayer life? Because that's what's going to keep you faithful. How's your repentance of sin? That's going to keep you faithful. How's your spirit-filled zeal and devotion? How's your financial giving? Where are you serving? Who are you helping? What are you accomplishing? And what are you completing? And the truth is, you're not going to make it alone. You need to be in community and the truth is, you and I will not make it to the end alone. We'll not see this life of opportunity and obligation to completion all by ourselves. No, we won't. This is where community and God's people and the occasional stinging rebuke of God's word helps to purify our motives and to point us in the right direction. I've seen it over and over. Where did they go? They're not coming anymore. Are they even walking with Jesus? And now, 
If they're not, their children are paying the price. And eventually, their grandchildren will pay the price as well. So don't quit. Jesus didn't quit. Jesus accepted that his family did not understand him. Now they came around, and I pray your family would too, if that's your story. Jesus accepted the opposition and the ostracism and the criticism. And Jesus shed his blood and died to accomplish something. His death, his life mattered. It was for our salvation. Jesus knew the price he would have to pay. He counted the cost and he paid it. He's in Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, knowing the price that he'll have to pay. And he goes to the cross nonetheless. And he keeps his saltiness all the way to the end. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give in. He dies. He rises. He loves. He saves. He heals. He forgives. And he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to follow me and be willing to endure a measure of what I've endured. So you're going to die. I'm going to die. We're We're all going to die. I'm not looking to die anytime soon, but if it comes, I want it to count. I want my life to count. All of us want our life to count. I want my death to count. I want my legacy to matter. And what I love about Jesus' words is that they are brutally honest. Think about this. It seems unconscious, conscionable, or perhaps just miraculous, that this man Jesus, with this message that we hear today, would gather billions of people to himself. But that's exactly what happened. That's what he's done. And I, for one, am one of his followers. Not perfect by any means, stumbling all the way, but one of his followers. And so are you. And I look at all the beautiful children in our midst and I pray that they don't grow up to be indifferent to Jesus because of the way we conducted ourselves today. I hope we don't create a generation of Christian consumers who can sing Christian songs and give Christian answers, but don't live Christian lives. I want to be a giver, not a taker, a contributor, not a consumer, a disciple, not a quitter. But I can't. I can't without his forgiveness. I can't without his unfailing love. I can't stay following Jesus unless I'm hitched to him. And I'm so grateful that he has done that in baptism. He's connected me to him. And he helps me to stay faithful. And he helps me not to quit. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for us individually and corporately as a people. We know that hard words produce soft people and soft words produce hard people. And in a day when there's just a lot of soft words, Jesus, please help us to really consider and count the cost, to not take the path of least resistance, but to take the path of most opportunity, to not raise our hand for everything, but raise our hand for only things that you would call us to. I pray for those who are considering leaving the church or the faith. 
wherever they might be. Please, dear God, capture their hearts, devastate their independence, and bring them back to the fold. Dear God, thank you for the grace that you've poured out on this place. We've not finished anything yet. To use Jesus' language, the war is not won, the tower is not built. But we're on our way. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. So God, we pray for sobriety, for steel in our spine, for love in our heart, for courage in our voice to continue being about you by the grace that you give. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 To follow Christ ain't complicated, don't you see? The answer's easy if you take it spiritually. He wants to help you in your struggle to be free. There must be 50 ways to follow Jesus. Don't try to live the Christian life all on your own. He didn't save you just to leave you all alone. God wants to help you and he still is on the throne. There must be 50 ways to follow Jesus. Fifty ways to follow Jesus You just stay on the track, Jack Follow his plan, Stan You don't need to be rich, Mitch For you to be free Just give him your heart, heart You don't need to go far Just stay on your knees, Lee And he'll set you free You know it grieves the Lord To see you in such pain there's something he can do to make you smile again He'll take away your sins and wash them down the drain There must be 50 ways to follow Jesus So open up his word, you'll find the answers there And spend some time each morning on your knees in prayer And you will find the love of Jesus everywhere There must be 50 ways to follow Jesus 50 ways to follow Jesus You just stay on the track, Jack Follow his plan, Stan You don't need to be rich, Mitch For you to be free Just give him your heart, Bart You don't need to go far Just stay on your knees, Lee And he'll set you free You just stay on the track, Jack Follow his plan, Stan You don't need to be rich, Mitch Just listen to me Just give him your heart, Bart You don't need to go far Just stay on your knees, Lee And he'll set you free